Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global affairs. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. <clears throat> We're going to talk a little bit about the history of Jim Crow and how these modern comparisons just are cheap political demagoguery. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of many novels, his latest is No Problem. We'll finish, visit with uh, Jim as well. <clears throat> it is February the 27th, and on this day in 1827, a group of masked and costumed students danced through the streets of New Orleans, uh, marking the beginning of the city's famous Mardi Gras celebrations, the celebration of Carnival, or the weeks before Twelfth Night of January 6th and Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the Christian period of Lent spread from Rome across Europe and later to the Americas. Nowhere in the United States is Carnival celebrated as grandly as New Orleans, famous for its over-the-top parades and parties for Mardi Gras, or Fat Tuesday, the last day of Carnival season. <clears throat> Early French settlers brought the tradition of Mardi Gras to the U.S. Uh, Gulf Coast at the end of the 17th century. In fact, Mobile, Alabama, celebrated its first carnival in 1703. However, Spanish governors later banned the celebrations after Louisiana, uh, the Louisiana Territory became part of the United States in 1803. New Orleans managed to convince the city council to lift the ban on wearing masks and partying in the streets. The city of New, uh, Mardi, New uh, Mardi Gras tradition began in 1827 when the group of students, inspired by their experiences studying in Paris, donned masks and jester costumes and staged their own Fat Tuesday uh, celebrations. The parties grew more and more popular. In 1833, a rich plantation owner named uh, Bernard Xavier de uh, Mandeville raised money to fund an official Mardi Gras celebration. After rowdy revelers began to get violent during the 1850s, a secret society called the Mystique Crew of Comus uh, staged the first large-scale, well-organized Mardi Gras parade in 1857. Over time, hundreds of crews formed, building elaborate, colorful floats for parades held over the two weeks leading up to the Fat, T Fat Tuesday. Riders on the floats were usually local citizens who tossed throws at passerbys, including metal coins, stuffed toys, or the now famous strands of beads. Though many tourists mistakenly believe Bourbon Street and the historic French Quarter are the heart of the Mardi Gras festivities, none of the major parades have been allowed to enter that area since 1979 because of its narrow streets. In February 2006, New Orleans held its Mardi Gras celebrations despite the fact that Hurricane Katrina had devastated much of the city with massive flooding and in the previous August. Attendance was only 60 to 70 percent of the three or 400,000 visitors usually attending the Mardi Gras, but the celebration marked an important step in the recovery of the city, which counts on hospitality and tourism as its single largest industry. 
the story of Margaret Go. I've been there for Tat- Fat Tuesday. It really is a lot of fun and a lot of celebrations. Really uh, interesting. <clears throat> well, nearly sixty uh, percent of registered voters say they have less money in their pocket than they did a year ago, according to a Fox News poll. Fifty-seven percent say had they have less money to spend than last year, compared to fifty percent who felt that way in February of twenty twenty-two. In 2018, only 28% of registered voters reported having less money in their pockets. Those feeling hardest hit include Republican women, uh, rural whites, uh, Gen Xers, and voters with annual incomes of below $50,000, according to the uh, poll. 12% of poll uh, respondents said they have more money to spend, and 31% said they have the same amount as last year or the year prior. A strong majority, 62%, disapprove of how the president is handling the economy, <clears throat> and 66% disapprove of how he's handling inflation. <clears throat> Nearly 80% of voters say the economy is in fair or poor condition, which is mostly unchanged from last year, according to the poll report. The economy remained a voter's top issue, with 36% saying it's the most important problem the country is facing. The economy is notably the top issue among Democrats, Republicans, and independents, which uh, doesn't happen too often. <clears throat> and by the way, who are these folks that actually have more money in their pockets? Well, I would suggest there's a lot of evidence that these are the people that are on welfare programs and Programs that actually have index, uh, cost of living indexes built into them so they automatically get increases in the money they're receiving. That number should probably be discounted. Well, a bombshell new report is just quietly published uh, by the United Kingdom government revealing that fully vaccinated people accounted for a staggering 92% of COVID deaths last year. Let me repeat that. 92% of COVID deaths were fully vaccinated last year in the United Kingdom. Uh, the official figures show that they're classed as fully or triple, quadruple vaccinated, accounted for 9 in 10 of all COVID-19 deaths in England over the past two years. Unbelievable. Well, uh, yesterday, new outlets said the Energy Department, or the Department of Energy, determined with low confidence that a, a lab leak in China caused the pandemic. Uh, COVID is, <coughs> excuse me, I've got a little red tide uh, reaction going here, so I apologize in advance for the coughing. <coughs> Excuse me. COVID has killed nearly 7 million people globally. <coughs> Excuse me, please. <coughs> Need to get a little water. And there have been ongoing debates and inquiries as to where the virus came from. Now the Department of Energy <coughs> says <coughs> the new intelligence that the virus may come from an accidental leak, something China denies. Still, four of other uh, U.S. agencies have pointed to the virus uh, potentially er uh, emerging through natural transmission. Two other agencies are undecided. Now, how did the Department of Energy get involved? Well, apparently they're in charge of about 17 biolabs around the United States. So uh, that's the reason they're involved in this anyhow. So that's kind of an interesting fact, isn't it? And what about these biolabs? And did we fund the one in uh, Wuhan? I think we probably did. Well, this week, a boost in supplemental nutritional assistance program, the SNAP program, is expiring in 32 states, impacting more than 40 million Americans. When the pandemic hit, Congress passed measure that gave households at least $95 extra per month to spend on food. 
One study found that it kept near uh, 4.2 million people out of poverty. Now that extra benefit is ending at a time where grocery bills, of course, are going up. It's got food banks gearing up for an increase in demand. And oh, speaking of the end of pandemic year assistance, 14 million people are going to be losing Medicaid or could lose Medicaid. They're going to all be reviewed. That's because the government's officially looking into who's eligible for the first time in three years. So all this, these hands out, handouts during the pandemic, these chickens are coming home to roost. Critical race theorist and former member of the Black Panthers, Angela Davis, <laughs> it makes me laugh, but was in dis- disbelief when she found out that she had an ancestor who came to America on the Mayflower. <laughs> Davis, a figure of the critical race theory movement, found out on a re- recent episode of PBS's show Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates that she is descended from a European settler who came to the New World on the Mayflower. No, I can't believe this, Davis said. Shocked by the revelation, my ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower, she added. This is a little bit too much to deal with right now, she said. But when she found out that she was descended from William Brewster, one of the 101 people who came to the colonies of the Mayflower in 1620. How about that? See, this is the interesting, it's what we don't know what we believe is true that uh, is is uh, always comes back to hurt us. So uh, I wonder if she's going to reevaluate her opinions about that now that she finds out that she's descended from a traveler on the Mayflower. <clears throat> Dilbert dropped by major newspapers. If you ever read Dilbert, and I used to, I think he's, he's just a talented writer. The workplace place satire comic strip was pulled from the Washington Post. USA Today and other major newspapers after creator Scott Adams made racist comments last week. On his YouTube live stream, Adams said that black pe- white people should get the hell away from black Americans, who he called a hate group. Uh, when asked by the Washington Post how many newspapers he expects will still carry this comic, he said, by Monday, <laughs> around zero. <laughs> so I don't know why he made that comment, and I don't know what the context is, and it, it is out there. <clears throat> I don't know what the context is, but nevertheless, he's a talented guy, and his, his writing is entertaining. Uh, Maybe the end of his uh, career as a, a comic strip writer. Hope not. Well, Los Angeles judge on Thursday sentenced disgraced mogul Harvey Weinstein to 16 additional years in prison after a jury convicted him of raping and assaulting an Italian actor and model in 2016. He's 70 years of age now and still has more than 20 years to serve for a similar conviction he received in New York in 2020. I maintain that I'm innocent. I never raped or sexually assaulted Jane Doe 1, Weinstein told Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Lisa Lynch, the Associated Press reported. The woman whom Weinstein was convicted of assaulting sobbed about as he talked. Before that night, I was a very happy and confident woman, the woman said. I valued myself and my relationship I had with God. I was excited about my future. Everything changed after the defendant brutally assaulted me, and there is no prison sentence long enough to undo the damage that he did. exploiting others. That's what he did. And now paying a price, although the wheels of justice grind slow, don't they? Yesterday, more than a, a boat carrying more than 200 people crashed off Italy's southwestern coast. At least 60 people died, including 
12 children, and the death toll is expected to rise amid rescue efforts. 80 people survived. Officials said the majority of the migrants were from Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Somalia. They had been traveling for five days after leaving Turkey. Now the tragedy putting a spotlight on Europe's migrant crisis. One European lawmaker, uh, Italian lawmaker, urged Italy and the European Union to offer effective alternatives for people who are forced to flee their country. Meanwhile, Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney, who is far-right government is cracking down on migrants fleeing to Italy, said it was criminal to put so many people on a boat during the bad weather. I would certainly agree with that. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on uh, traveling abroad, most health insurance plans don't cover international travel. You should check this out and uh, make sure that you can travel worry-free. Visit the website, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President uh, Emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I encourage you to check it out. It's great for kids of all ages, including you and I, historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's start our discussion with uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Right, so we're at the one-year anniversary of the war. Uh, no one would have believed when it began that the Ukrainians would hold out and, number one, and number two, push back the Russians part of the way. Um, the United States has continued to pl- pledge uh, continued support together with almost all the European allies. Um, and the Russians are looking for allies uh, trying to get the Chinese to agree to sell them arms at the moment. So far, it's not clear that they're, they're going to agree. The Russians themselves don't seem to be able to produce enough good arms to keep the battle going. Mm. Um, so um, it's turned in for the moment into a war of attrition, but that is expected to end um, when the Ukrainians get um, some of the newer armaments that are on the way, particularly tanks which are coming from all over Europe. I mean, it's a very strange situation. This country's giving three, this country's giving five, this country's giving ten. Mm-hmm. And between them, I think we're getting to about 200 of the new Leopard, uh, the leopard tanks. Um, so Europe has been holding steady. It worked out to be a very um, global warming or whatever the cause is. It was a very warm winter in Europe all this winter, and so they never, there never was the crisis that everyone was expecting in terms of energy and gas and everything else. Um, so that card the Russians have lost. Um, and um, so Europe has made it through the winter. I mean, we're still a little bit in the winter, but we're almost almost to the winter at this point. Yeah. And it's made it through um, remarkably well, so there's no pressure on that, that end. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, um, it's the biggest war since World War II, obviously. Um, no one was really expecting it in the sense that who would have thought that the Russians would do this? Um and this is just an obsession of one man more than anything else. Yeah. And brought along his people by totally, you know, news can't come in, people can't listen. Um, if you say it's a war, you get arrested. Huh. Um, Russia's become quite a totalitarian state once again. In, uh, in the communist tradition almost, even though they're not really, they're not communists, they're something else. Right. So, and I think it's, you know, again, it's one of those times, <clears throat> rare times, Probably the, the rarest time since almost World War II, we are just clear good versus evil. And um, we'll have to see how it ends up. Yeah, it seems to me I, I would like to encourage uh, uh, these people to get to the uh, table to discuss the, uh, uh, the possibility of peace. Because this, to me, looks like it's just going to be an ongoing... And, and you know, the Russians have 6,000 nuclear warheads. So we're, you know, we should mess around with these people. We should try and get this thing resolved. Well, I mean, try to get it resolved. We can't get it resolved because they have nuclear weapons. That would be a, a big mistake. Mm-hmm. We can get it resolved if the, if the Russians are willing to um, make some concessions, and the Ukrainians will make some concessions. I think, quite honestly, the the, the peace that will end up hap- could end up happening and I say, is the Russians go back to the lines before their invasion and they get to keep Crimea. 
that seems to me to be the um, you know the the likely end of end scenario. But the end result also will be Ukraine and NATO, mm-hmm. because Ukraine will not agree to any agreement like that without security guarantees, and that would be being a member of NATO, which is exactly what the Russians didn't want. I mean, this is a strategic disaster for the Russians. They've gotten everything they did not want. They got the United NATO, which um, they were not expecting. They got Sweden and Finland wanting to join NATO. Um, they got um, the United States helping in a very large way, and they got the Ukrainian people as enemies for a century. I mean, yeah. it's an amazing thing. The Ukrainians were um, philo-Russians to some extent. they Right. They like Russian literature. They like, you know, they they, they were close to the Russians, and now they the Russians have created an enemy that they will not forget for for generations. You know, in the backdrop of this, uh, Mark, one of the things that concerns me is these uh, alliances that are growing between uh, possibly between China and Russia, and then also with uh, uh, Iran and uh, with. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, Mark. I've got a little bit of red tide stuff going on here. <coughs> Iran and, and uh, what's the other country I'm thinking of right well, now? South Africa it's, a little bit. Of, India and South Africa. Yeah. So in other words, the, subtly, slowly but surely, I'm beginning to see some kind of the lines of communication with our friends slowly beginning to close in, in the realignment of the, of the globe. Well, I mean, okay, so our realignment with our friends has gotten stronger. Our relations with Europe um, has strengthened to a tremendous extent. I mm. mean, after being a... A rocky period during the last presidency. This, there is a very little daylight between the Europeans and the Americans at, at the moment, and the Europeans, of course, are rearming at a rate no one had ever expected. Um, you know, it's like you tell them, you know, um, burden, you know, share the burden and all that, all you want, all you want. But suddenly, when they feel like they may be in, endangered, suddenly almost every European country is doubling, tripling their defense budget, and that also goes for Japan. Uh-huh. Um, so. Um, that's, I guess, a positive result of all of this. Um, there will, won't be any more question whether the Europeans are... That's Siri answering me for reasons on my watch, why I don't know. <laughs> it uh, happens to me all the time. I couldn't shut her up one time. <laughs> uh, wait, wait until Siri becomes the equivalent of chat GDP, and then we're really in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> but in any case... Um, you know, so there won't be any question whether the Europeans are pulling their their share in terms of NATO and everything else, because they're all they're all doing it at this point, as fast as they as fast as they can rebuild the armaments. And in the United States too, we've learned a, a valuable lesson that um, you need large amounts of armaments, and so we have factories now working around the clock producing uh, shells and those type of things. And you have that the the both the British and and the Luxembourgs, believe it or not, I don't know if that's the right word to describe people who live in Luxembourg, but have been scouring Europe for, Eastern Europe, for old factories that were there. They were making shells and other things, and they've been reopening factories wow. to produce produce shells and mines and all those type of things. So um, the Luxembourgs are an interesting example of a country that's, as you know, very, very small and doesn't really have any armaments to, to give to their to give to the Ukrainians, but has a lot of money. And so they decided to use their money to go try to buy armaments for them on the world market. Well, you're not going to so. find that at any anywhere else uh, on the Internet. So, Mark, I just really appreciate this feedback. Uh, we've got so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, uh, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. So what's the news coming out of Hungary? Well, Hungary, again, you know, Orban has been a very difficult uh, member of NATO and in the EU. And in this case, he's holding up uh, the membership. Now that I think it's been solved with Turkey, he's holding up the Swedish and Finnish um, joining NATO. Hmm. You know, he's one of these people who has one foot into NATO and the and the EU to get all the money he wants and everything else. But I think he's a fellow traveler in terms of being a neo-fascist with Putin in a certain way. Hmm. So he has this identity with Putin, but the country itself wants to be part of Europe. And so it's a push and pull all the time. And he's dragging his feet and allowing um, those two countries to join because it must be unanimous terms of joining NATO. So he's doing Putin's bidding, at least delaying it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, not not a good guy when it comes to uh, to Europe, let's put it that way. Well, he's done, he's done so much to protect his own borders and uh, the integrity of his uh, culture. I mean, I think that he's got some po- positive aspects for his citizens. Uh, maybe, but it depends on the, what price and what cost. Uh, yeah. you know, his citizens would not want to leave the EU, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, while, while it was questionable uh, what, what the story was in terms of UK is, 
Um, there is no question that Hungary, as well as Poland, have been tremendous net recipients uh, of the EU in terms of money and everything else, plus yeah. the ability of the Hungarians to work anywhere in Europe. Yeah. So, you know, Britain was was questionable, <coughs> although it's proving to be that the, the Brexit has been an economic disaster for Britain. Mm-hmm. But Hungary is not even a question. Those, no one possibly in Hungary suggests that it would be advantageous to leave the EU. But, yeah. You know, being part of the EU and being part of NATO, you have certain costs on the other side. It's true. It's, it, there's never a perfect way to do it. So there's no free lunch for anything in the world. You know, that's <clears throat> what it comes down to. Absolutely. So, so, so uh, and by the way, with the tragedy in Turkey. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot that we can say about it, except that it's just unbelievable what's happened there. No, it really is. And once again, it does remind everybody. You know, people hate. Uh, regulations or building, it brings up the cost, it makes things more difficult and everything else, and yeah. you see what happens when, when it doesn't happen. Exactly. Well, it's it's almost too little too late at this point, my goodness. So right, much. at this point, but you know, there are a lot of places in the world which are on fault lines, mm-hmm. um, and you've got to be worried that at some point something can happen there, and you better make sure that people... Um, Better make sure that people are following the, the zoning laws to make sure that buildings are built to be, withstand earthquakes. Otherwise, you have what happened in Turkey. Exactly. Yeah. So let's let's uh, move, move our discussion to Mexico. Mexico is an interesting situation that I hadn't been following closely, but it, the government is wants to slash all the money towards the Mexican Election Commission, which is job it is a to uh, to um, bring it to be the physical people who bring about the elections and to make sure that the elections are uh, without difficulties and without stealing and everything else. I don't know whether um, this is an attempt, uh, a sort of coup by the Mex- current Mexican government to stay in power. All I know is hundreds of thousands have taken to the streets protesting this attempt to um, to cut off the money and the funding for the, ele- for the electoral commission, election commission. I mean, you know, Mexico is a relatively new democracy, yeah, and it's gone through various periods where it's been democracy and where it's been not a democracy. And then, of course, you have <clears throat> the inherent problem of large parts of Mexico that are the government is is officially the government, but are heavily ruled by some of the cartels. Yeah. So I would suspect that the Sinaloa uh, cartel has a lot to do with what's happening in Mexico right now. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. Look, they have so much money, and it's so easy with large sums of money to change public opinion, to impact events. It's a very dangerous situation in in that sense. And, you know, the whole issue of drugs, you know, we could spend the whole whole hour discussing, and I'm not even talking about the, the local part of it right now. I'm talking about the international trade and everything else. And, you know, this has been this has been a fight that's been going on for 30 years, 40 years. Yeah. Certainly since the Reagan administration, if not before. It's it's and, been shocking. I watched an hour video yesterday, uh, an interview of John, he's an attorney, John Thaler, on the claim politicians in the United States corrupted by drug cartel money. It, it is just shocking. Uh, the information, first of all, the amount of money that's that's involved, but also this is not just border states like Arizona. This is a major, major network of fraud and, and uh, stealing on the part of the cartel, so uh, we should we got to stay in touch at, on, on top of this. No, absolutely, there's no question. But you know, we can't we get these difficult issues, right? Because sometimes, in order to bring these people down, we got to 
cut corners when it comes to civil rights. But if you cut corners about them, what does that mean in terms of everybody else's civil rights? And very difficult situations when you think about it. Yeah. My opinion, we should just uh, declare them an enemy, uh, a, a group of terrorists, and do what we can to eliminate them here in the United States. <clears throat> yeah, but we also have the demand. There's always, when, when there's demand, there's always, there's always a way. That's the problem. Yeah. So uh, let's move to China. Well, China, an interesting story came out from the, uh, from the Energy Administration, of all people, uh, saying they came to the conclusion now that, the, um, that COVID was escaped from the lab. Mm -hmm. But they came out with this report, and then in the fourth paragraph of the report, they put down that the certainty is low of their own report. Low confidence, yes. Right, low confidence. So it's like, you know, there's like part of the government thinks it was it was a lab escape. Part of the government says it's not lab escape. Part of the government just says we don't know. And I think right now we're back to we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, if it was a lab escape in a certain way, that the Chinese are really responsible to the world for what what happened. Um, but I don't know if there's going to ever be a way of ever proving it. Let's put it that way. Well, it's interesting that the uh, Department of Energy is involved in this at all, and it turns out that they're responsible for the biolabs that the United States... Apparently, we have 17 biolabs across the country, and they, they're they uh, under the jurisdiction of the Department of Energy. So this is this is the reason why they've come out with this opinion. <clears throat> right. No, absolutely. But again, it's not, you know, it's like... It's not where you expected to hear this opinion from, let's put it that way. Yeah. The, the, the information you just gave is very true, and that's the reason, but it's still a, what, Department of Energy? It's not the CIA, it's not the Department yeah. of Health, it's the Department of Energy telling us this? That's kind of, you know, left field, let's put it that way. Well, yes, and also, Mark, I would suggest that there's probably uh, political uh, points of view that are tarnishing or at least affecting the, uh, the stand of, of wherever these various agencies stand. Maybe. I would think it's, I, I doubt it's politics. I think it's more institutional pride. In other words, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very hard for any institution to go back on what they originally said, right? Yeah. Oh, we made a mistake. It's, it's, yeah, it's the lab, even though we said it wasn't the lab, or, or, the, or the opposite. And I think often um, what we um, think of as politics is often institutional inertia or, or institutional cover-up, yeah. cover your ass, so to speak. Yeah, good, we should good always point. keep that in mind, you know. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, for our listeners' benefit, <clears throat> Mark is uh, located in Tel Aviv right now. A lot going on in Israel, and it would uh, be interesting to get an update from you what you're seeing right now. Absolutely. So <clears throat> there are two major stories in Israel at the moment. The major story that continues week after week is the protests against the attempt of quote-unquote judicial reform, which is more than reform, it's basically weakening the court system tremendously, mm -hmm. uh, that the government is trying to do. The demonstrations are growing by week by week. Uh, this past Saturday night, there were probably 300,000 people in the streets, both in Tel Aviv and in about 30 other cities protesting. Wow. Um, but the government's going ahead anyway. So it's an interesting situation uh, where you have Hundreds of um, high-level people in the army doing who are reservists writing that they won't continue to do reserve duty if this is passed. Wow! You have, um, you know, almost all the economists, all those type of people have all um, come out against it, and you've had funds moving money out of Israel at this point. Um, so all of this is taking place, but the government is is planning to go ahead despite all the opposition. So it's tearing the country apart. 
on that level. Uh-huh. And then um, yesterday, well, we we've had violence in the in the West Bank over the last uh, couple of weeks, and then yesterday there was a terror attack, um, and two young men, uh, not in the army, were were shot and killed in their car when they were going through a, a, a Palestinian village in the West Bank or near the village. And then as a result, at night, uh, the settlers in the nearby settlements rampaged through the visit to the village and burning cars and burning buildings, and which was a terrible sight to see, too. Yeah. So we're on the verge of a potential explosion in terms of the West Bank, in terms of terror, in terms of demonstrations and all these sort of things. Um, so it's, let's put it this way. Uh, the country overall seems to be you know, on the edge in so many different ways. So we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of days, weeks, um, more so than I've ever remembered the country being on edge and split um, in terms of anything. Right. Because many, many of the people who are closest to Netanyahu over the years coming out against this this reform, uh, quote-unquote reform, including you know, foreign police commissioners, for, for every sort of former Knesset members, his personal secretaries, everybody has come out against it, other than his political allies at the moment. To me, it's just so offensive, you know, believing in the Constitution and our rule of law here in the United States. What he's attempted to do is to just diminish the effect of the judicial branch and in, in heighten the uh, the uh, power of the executive branch, and that's that's just wrong. No, it's absolutely wrong, especially <clears throat> in a country where the judicial branch is the only check uh, check to the to the uh, executive branch, because the executive branch and legislative branch are the same in a country in a parliamentary democracy that's set up the way Israel's is set up. Hmm. Uh, so the only check of the court systems, and they want to remove remove that one court, that one check. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, you know, people like. There's something about power, and there's something about absolute power, and you know that statement that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's part of the problem. And look, it's the beauty of the American system. Whatever mess there is between Congress and the president and the Supreme Court coming in, there is no one has total control of the government ever. Right. Mark, um, that's good. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check out the website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University Wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. 
times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> My pleasure. Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are an educational organization devoted to educating and inspiring young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, limited government, and personal character. We do that through our website, which is fee, org. Uh, with lots of daily fresh content as well as uh, videos and other material and also uh, at in-person events that we hold all over the country and occasionally abroad. Terrific organization. FEE.org is the website. If you have somebody in your life who is high school or college age, make sure you introduce them to this great organization. FEE.org. Larry, you wrote a piece that I found so interesting. The history of Jim Crow laws should, uh, shows modern comparisons are just cheap political demagoguery. And uh, of course, I think back to the comments that the uh, Georgia law, uh, voting law, uh, are present called uh, Jim Crow on steroids. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I thought at the time that uh, Joe Biden was uh, at the very least ill-advised <laughs> mm-hmm. about the Georgia law because it actually expanded uh, voter access. And that was proven out, of course, in the elections of 2022 when we saw a record turnout yeah. among uh, all races at the polls. Uh, Jim Crow uh, should not be trivialized. Uh, it was a very awful uh, period in American history, and it involved not simply uh, people on their own mm-hmm. choosing to discriminate against black people, but uh, what really happened was that government was doing it, and it was mandating discrimination and segregation against uh, black Americans. I gave the example of the Birmingham, Alabama uh, Code of Ordinances from 1944 in my article, uh, which uh, pointed out that uh, restaurant owners were told by law that if they served black and white, they would have to build a seven-foot-tall
tall barrier between the two races inside their restaurant and or face fines and so uh you know or have separate free, entrances as well that's right yeah in a free market that kind of stuff wouldn't get very far because people are interested in in uh you know selling their product right. but uh the fact that the government stepped in and passed these laws is what really enforced Jim Crow and kept it on the books for so long. Black and white people not being Negroes, as they referred to at the time, Negroes and whites not able to gamble together? <laughs> yeah, that was another part of the ordinance. They couldn't play with each other. They couldn't, uh, uh, and that included cards, dice, dominoes, checkers. I mean, <laughs> the ordinance went into some detail that they couldn't do that uh, in a public establishment or, or like a, a pool hall. So was this, uh, and I'm speaking of true ignorance, through my own ignorance right now, but was this dealt with through some sort of a federal law or uh, amendment to the Constitution, or did these yeah. uh, laws simply, were they changed because of the pressure of the public? Well, there uh, was a series of uh, court rulings uh, in this broad area, beginning with Brown versus Board of Education, that uh, changed things in the public schools, but it was the Civil Rights Act of the mid-1960s mm -hmm. that finally prevented um, uh, municipalities, counties, states from passing laws that were overtly discriminatory by race. So uh, you could say that Jim Crow lingered uh, but was effectively done away with by the mid-60s. So interesting. You actually cited in your column uh, some pretty shocking uh, uh, behavior on the part of our former presidents. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, one, uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, Democrat, he was uh, racist to his core. <coughs> he resegregated re the uh, federal government. He treated black soldiers who fought in World War I for America. He treated them very shabbily. Uh, he showed the uh, birth of a nation, the uh, overtly racist and pro-Klan film, in the White House, and then praised the film afterwards. Yeah, uh, He was a bad man. And, of course, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, he was the first president to nominate a Ku Klux Klan member to the Supreme Court, and he uh, snubbed Jesse Owens, the black Olympic gold medalist, by refusing to invite him to the White House when he invited all the other American Olympians uh, to the White House. Uh, and, of course, uh, in another race-related issue, not black and white, but Japanese-American uh, issue, FDR forcibly interned 120,000 innocent Japanese-Americans for the crime of simply being of Japanese ancestry. You know, and we're beginning to see this uh, identity politics rear its ugly head again. And uh, right now, I think in, uh, I'm pretty pleased with how laws are lined up and, and giving people the freedom that they deserve uh, through the various uh, amendments of the laws that we passed. I think we're doing a good job. But unfortunately, the Democrat Party is trying to resurrect uh, the, whole, the whole issue. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the Democrats have really, even though they publicly proclaim to be friends of minorities, mm -hmm. they really have an attitude, most of them, at least the leadership, uh, that uh, you've got to stay in your place. Uh, you see that every time a black person thinks for himself and says, you know, I don't think I'm for all this Democratic stuff, uh, all these uh, programs and what have you. And uh, then, of course, they get vilified and uh, censored. And the things that uh, the Democrats say about uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas are just 
absolutely reprehensible. He walked off the progressive plantation to think for himself years ago, and they hate him for it. Exactly. And, of course, it's the Democrats who are most steadfastly against school choice. And the people who would most benefit from school choice are inner-city blacks who are typically ill-served by the government schools that they're assigned to. As uh, Trump said during the election, uh, at one point he said, look, vote for me. What do you have to lose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Democrats just take blacks for granted, and uh, they want them to stay on the plantation. They don't want them to uh, have school choice, or they don't want them to think for themselves. Exactly. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you check out the website, fee.org, F-E-E.org, and also check out this column that's posted uh, on the uh, website. It's called the, the History of Jim Crow Laws Show Modern Comparisons Are Just Cheap Political Demagoguery. Uh, Larry, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, since retired and now has been written some fantastic murder mysteries. I hope you check them out. Uh, first is uh, Father Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, his latest, 
no problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, uh, Bob. The, you know, the Supreme Court today will uh, hear the challenge to uh, President Biden's um, authoritarian decision to uh, forgive about half a trillion dollars in uh, student loans. And um, I think this exposes one of the big con games in America, which involve uh, private and public universities. And that's the uh, uh, generating cash by these universities by admitting students who have no business being there in the first place because they're, they're terribly unqualified, likely to drop out, and likely to be unable to repay these uh, uh, loans. So, um, huh. it, and, and, for, and forgiving these loans to the students does nothing to reform the colleges and universities because uh, they're all fighting for their survival. Uh, we're going to see colleges and universities fold. Yep. And, 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 um, so there, there's going to be a, a race to the bottom again to recruit more unqualified students and uh, and to dupe them, <laughs> and and, and, this, and we're just going to have a repeat of the problem we see now. Well, let uh, me let me ask this question: What are your thoughts about affirmative action? Uh, apparently, the Supreme Court is be taking a look at this, and I think it's for Asian Americans. But nevertheless, it could have long-reaching ramifications for affirmative action across the country. Uh. I'm, I, I mean, affirmative action, I'm in favor of uh, meritocracy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so if you're, you know, that's, that's uh, uh, affirmative action can be damaging. Well, if in fact, let me just expand my point. My point is I'm against affirmative action. I think it was a mistake to implement it in any way here in the United States. And uh, it, quite frankly, it's doing more harm than good. So... I'd like to point out that, that Biden, as of 2021, had already provided through executive fiat and his, um, his emergency uh, economic relief program, $5.6 billion in debt relief to historic uh, black colleges and universities. And, and a lot of that debt relief uh, was uh, given to students in the form of tuition relief. So we've already had really the president spending huge amounts of money without uh, oversight. Um, huh. And black, stu black students, according, I'm looking at Department of Education statistics. I, I, I mean, this is on the public record, but 85% uh, black students have 85% more debt than white students. And um, so the, the forgiveness program before the Supreme Court today would also uh, benefit black students who, who didn't go to black colleges and universities, who went to public and private universities. But the, the point is, is that uh, uh, all these universities, again, are, are bringing in students who aren't properly prepared and, and they're destined to fail. And it's just a, a money grab by these universities. And we really have to uh, probably winnow the number of universities in the country uh, we have to uh, force them to reform yeah. and to stop uh, soaking these uh, unqualified uh, students. And uh, thirdly, uh, this debt relief keeps these uh, keeps a lot of zombie institutions alive. And there are alternatives now. Um, 
Mitch Daniels when he was president of Purdue University. Uh, Mitch Daniels is a hero of mine, by the way. He yeah. was the uh, governor of, of uh, Indiana. He, he was at OMB under uh, Bush. He's brilliant. He should be president, um, but he won't run. But he started, he bought Kaplan, which was a uh, private university, for profit university yeah. that was owned by the Washington Post. Huh. In fact, the, the Washington Post became an education company, not a newspaper company. And he turned it into something called Purdue Global, which has legitimate degrees. They're very good degrees. And you can go there online and get, a say, a nursing degree for 28350 when it's double that at a state or private university. Sure. Uh, there's another university out west. I don't know if you've ever heard of Western Governors University. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, WTU. I've heard of that. Uh, those those initials. I don't know if it's the same one. Yeah, it's um, it, a consortium of governments. Governors established this uh, online university some years back, and the gr degrees are solid. And I happen to know. Uh, two graduates of the University of Chicago, which is a um, stellar institution, sure. who are, who are uh, one of them got a graduate degree in health sciences from Western Governors, and another is getting an accounting degree. and And the way it works is you pay a flat fee per quarter, and you can take as many courses as you want. So, so if you're a brilliant student, you can get out of college in a year. You know, yeah. you can get the degree. Um, so. So there are these alternatives, and when the government, when when Biden implements a loan forgiveness program like that, he's interfering in the private marketplace again. He's picking winners and losers, and he he's uh, you know there's a revolution in education, and he's standing in the way in order and, to and in order costs. to buy votes. That's what he's all to buy. He, or he's he's buying black votes. It's it's it, yeah. it, it all fits together in a puzzle as to why he wants. South Carolina to have the first primary because South Carolina has a huge black population. Yeah. He's he's buying off the votes, and so you know he looks to score very big in, in a state with uh, a lot of black voters uh, early yeah. on. Unbelievable. Well, and you just take a step back. The reason why education has just absolutely soared in terms of cost is because we've got these third-party payers. It's the government. It's the loans and so forth. So uh, there's not the sense that, hey, I, I'm borrowing this money, I'm going to have to pay it back. There's a sense that uh, the university has that we can just increase this, the bloated bureaucracy at our university and, and have programs like uh, critical race theory and so forth, as opposed to teaching uh, the reality of what's, uh, what's needed to our, to our students. Jim, yeah, I, and I, I just genuinely appreciate you bringing this this uh, topic to our attention. It's really interesting. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And again, remind our listeners, latest Jim's latest book, no problem. Th Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, we've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadena, our state senator and Senate president. Uh, also, Boo Mortensen will be back with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife, Linda, will uh, join us for a segment as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the weekend on the uh, Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.